This is from the book of Leviticus, everybody's favorite book of the Bible. And then after we read it together, we'll sing the doxology. Just a heads up, there's a number of passages, not all of them I'm going to read today, on page, uh, well, the page numbers aren't, aren't there today, but it's on page three, uh, right on the inside cover of your bulletin. So you hear these words from the book that we love. I'm just going to read Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If, this, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the sides of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Do you ever wonder why they call it a worship service? We call this 9 a.m. worship service not just a gathering or a meeting, which is also happening. It is also those things, a gathering or a meeting, but it's a service. There's a number of reasons why. Both the New Testament and Old Testament words, most of them, that refer to worship in the Old Testament or the New Testament um, are interchangeable with the word for service. For example, in the book of Exodus, in the Old Testament, um, the word service is used throughout. And in the early chapters, it almost always refers to the Israelites serving the Egyptians who has made them, who, who've made them slaves. But then once God through Moses comes and sets them free, that word service keeps being used throughout the book, but it almost completely is referring to the Israelites serving God, the one in whose service is true joy and freedom. Some of you know the word liturgy, maybe. Now, a lot of the time it just refers to a church's order of worship, but literally that word liturgy means the work of the people or the service of the people. It's this idea that we come together to serve God, not just to praise him in terms of saying hallelujah, but to serve him, to offer him something. This has always, always, always been there. So we call it a service because we come to serve God, but also because we come to be served. That's true. We also come to be served. Now, I think there's a healthy and unhealthy way to think about this. If you hang out with Christians after a church service, sometimes this will happen. They'll say things like, 
you know, I felt really fed today. Ever hear that before? Or, I really didn't feel fed today. And, you know, if we're not careful, it's almost like we're at a table at a restaurant, and the leaders of the church are like waiters or waitresses who come to us to serve us. And at the end of the meal, we sit back and uh, say, how was service today? Forgetting that a worship service also involves our serving, right? That said, this is a biblical idea. You know, in the New Testament, uh, the most exhaustive explanation of what a gathered worship service should look like um, this is 1 Corinthians 14. It's the longest chapter that explains, here's what you do in worship. We're going to get there in a few weeks. The word build up is used seven times. Literally, it's the word edify. You should come expecting to be built up in our worships. Not filled up necessarily. It's not so much the biblical word as built up. Like strengthened. Worship should be strengthening so as you come to serve, the expectation is you also will be served by coming away with more than you entered with. So we call it a service because we serve God and God serves us. And today, in this, as I mentioned, we're in this series about gathered worship. Today, what I want, what I want you to see is that in the worship of God's people from the very beginning, this is Old Testament worship. This is the book of Leviticus. This is the third book of the Bible. From the very beginning, in the earliest accounts of biblical worship, it was assumed that you brought some service to God. That's what gathered worship is. And we think about this never. I don't. I hardly do. We're also today beginning to look at the book of Leviticus. You can think of the book of Leviticus a little bit like your Old Testament worship bulletin. Like, here's how it works. There'd be something from the Psalms worked in as well, for sure. But this is the guide for corporate worship. And we're going to see how God pe God's people served him, served God in their services by bringing offerings to him. And these offerings can be categorized in three ways. I'm only going to look at one today. And it's these sacrifices that were referred to as atoning sacrifices. That's what we get in Leviticus chapter 1, very first verses of the book of Leviticus, verses 1 through 5. There are actually a number of different kinds of atoning sacrifices. These first five verses describe something called the burnt offering. That's how it's described in verse 3. Let me read verse 3 and 4 again on that note. They're on page 3 of your bulletin. If his, burnt, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd... He shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. There are actually a number, a number of different sacrifices you read about in this book that are referred to as atoning sacrifices. There's one called a sin offering, where it's like if you, um, if you perform this sin, you go and offer a specific sacrifice. There's another called a guilt offering. Some, some translations refer to it as a reparations offering, where if you um, have taken something, you've stolen something, you offer a sacrifice, and then you give 20% more um, as an incentive not to do this again. 
This is the most common one, though. Most of the scenes in the Old Testament where sacrifices are being offered, it's this burnt offering where, like, the whole animal is, is sacrificed. The entire animal, all parts of it, on the altar. I don't know if atonement is a word that you're, you're familiar with. It's, it's got some usage in modern discussions, even um, non-religious. Sometimes people talk about it in courts. It literally means at one mint. That's the English word, best they could translate it. It's, it's anything that you do to make, make us at one. There's separations between you and me. We need to be at one again. We need to um, clear whatever's between you and me, becoming at one. The Hebrew word is kapur. A lot of you get off of school for Yom Kippur. It's the Day of Atonement. Um, it, it carries this idea of covering. Like if you're at a re restaurant and somebody else gets the bill, the waiter might say, hey, you're covered. You're covered. There's no debt. That's what kapur means. It also sometimes carries the idea of cleansing, no stain left, or canceling. Whatever happened between us is canceled. And that's what God's people brought to their services. Something that would bring covering, cleansing, cancellation. I just want you to see a few things about this weird to us worship activity from Leviticus 1. Three things I want you to see about this sacrifice, this atoning sacrifice. First of all, it was costly. Animals were valuable to people in the wilderness. Animals were life. At least they helped your life be sustained, particularly spotless ones. They were costly. Secondly, they served as a substitution. Well, let me be clear on this. Do you see there in verses 3 and 4? You brought this animal. It says from the herd or the flock. That means either a bull or a ram. And the worshiper would lay his hand on the animal. This is really interesting. What does this mean, laying a hand on the animal? Well, it's at least association, right? Like this is for me, and it's more than that. It's saying Whatever is about to happen to this animal ought to be happening to me. And it's this exchange that's about to happen. And thirdly, it's costly, it's substitutionary. Thirdly, there's no getting around this one. It's bloody. It was a bloody sacrifice. Now let me say something here, because I think this is a offensive to us, but it also makes no sense that it's offensive to us. Like, I think sometimes, like, in our culture where we love horror movies and we love violent movies and we love bloody Halloween costumes, I think we, we look at all this blood in the Old Testament and, like, we think, man, they must have really gotten a rush out of this. They must have really loved just seeing blood. Again, this was a valuable animal. They brought this thing weeping. Weeping. Come back to that at the end. And the symbolism, folks, I think we miss this all together. The blood of a thing? What's the blood of a thing? It's its very life. Blood is life. And when the scriptures talk about the wages of sin is death, that's not just saying like the punishment for sin is death. It means the natural consequence of sin in this world is that it brings death. You bring sin into the world, you take life. You take life. And so, for that kind of a debt, 
a life must be brought to bring covering, cleansing, and cancellation of that debt. And that's what's happening here. That's what's going on. It's what worshipers brought to serve their God. But immediately, um, we see a problem. What's the problem? Here's the problem. Think about all the wrongs you've done. I mean, just take a moment and think about some of the big ones. The big ways you have, cre- you have created harm in the world. Maybe even somebody else in this room. The ways you've wronged other people. And you've had to say, I'm sorry. Or maybe, ideally, come to them and say, let's clear the space between us. Is that a lesson that most of us have to learn once? Like your, your go-to, let's call it a besetting sin. Is that something like, ah, I did that, and you like never do it again? And you learn that lesson once you introduce that pain into the world, and you're good for the rest of your life? No, we need to learn these lessons again and again and again. And on that note, can I bring up the next slide? This is from Hebrews. The New Testament writers are pointing out this problem with the sacrificial system all the time. Let me read you some verses and see... See if you can hear in the words from the writer of Hebrews, chapter 10, what the remaining problems were with this sacrificial system. We read, Since the law, the sacrificial law, has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. Your sacrifice of your bull won't make you perfect. Can't do it. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year, for it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Jumping down to verse 8. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, this is Jesus now. I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. There's a lot of theology in those verses. It's in your bulletin. Take it home. Give it a second look and read the whole chapter when you get there. Here's the point. Here's the point. These sacrifices were essentially inadequate because they had to be repeated. And the New Testament writers are saying again and again and again that the offering of the life of Jesus Christ as an atoning sacrifice was once for all. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, these writers, these witnesses of the living Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, are always saying things like, think about John the Baptist. He sees Jesus, and he sends his own disciples to begin following Jesus, because he says, there is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul also in Romans 3 refers to the death of Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement. Now, let me break this down real clear, because if you're, if you're more of a visitor than a worshiper today, and we expect that, by the way, we enjoy that, uh, we look forward to that, people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves worshipers, but are interested in what the church is about and who Jesus is. This is the center of our faith. This is like the dead center target, and everything else ripples out from here. 
Our eternal hope is that Jesus Christ is both the one who offers a sacrifice. He comes as a worshiper, as a human being. He's both the one who offers a sacrifice for sin, and he is the one offered. He is the sacrifice itself. He's both the sacrificer and the sacrifice. He offers service to God on our behalf for a permanent, perfect, complete, not necessary to repeat sin covering. So we don't bring bloods, the blood of uh, sheep and bulls anymore to worship. Jesus has done it all when he was on the cross. He says, it is finished. Perfect human worshiper offering a perfect sacrifice to God. So here's the question for you all, and I want to end on this. If it's been brought, if we're not bringing a bull and saying, this is how I enter worship, <laughs> this is how I get into the service, is to say, I need something to cancel, cleanse, and cover, but Jesus has already done it, what do we need to bring anymore? There is absolutely something to bring, and most of us don't. Most of us don't bring it. And like everything else in the service, I say me first, I don't. What is it? What else is required if Jesus has already said it is finished? That sacrifice has been made and paid. It's this. A broken heart. You know, they came weeping with these riches. These animals. We don't bring the animals anymore, but we still bring the tears. Or we don't. One more slide. This is from Psalm 51, and this is just an example. This is just an example. This is Psalm 50, actually, and, and 51. This is Micah 6, but look at this. This is after David commits his heinous sin of murder and adultery at the height of his success. He's repenting to God, and this is what he says. You will not delight in my sacrifice, or I'd give it. If that's all I had to do, done, easy. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh God, you will not despise. You bring the tears, you bring the animal in the Old Testament. The problem is, everybody wanted to bring the animal, but not the tears. They wanted to check the box and keep living as if it was an exchange between a far-off deity that would relieve them of some kind of suffering, but no relationship no awareness of what their sins had actually cost the world. The tears came first. And without the tears, the sacrifice never, ever really meant everything. So here's what I, here's what I want to ask you all. When's the last time you actually wept over what your sins have cost the world? When's the last time you wept over what your sins cost Jesus Christ, the very one we're coming in to worship today. I want you to know that a broken heart is an offering. It's service to God. Every time your heart breaks over your own sin, you're serving the liturgy. 
And you're actually serving him really well in a way that pleases him. And if you're like me and you show up to today, maybe you came, and you're actually pretty hard-hearted and you think you're a little bit better than everybody else in the room, and you stop and you think about everything else going on wrong in the city, and you're like, why can't they be more like me? Let me give you one little exercise you can do next Sunday, and I'll do it with you. Most of the time, I would never say that a great way to prepare your heart for worship is to just go on social media and start scrolling. Just start looking at stuff, distracting yourself, not preparing your heart for encountering the living king. But next week, I want you to try it, and here's how I want you to try it. Here's how I want you to try it. I want you to take a look at all the scandalous sins being discussed on your favorite news outlet. I want you to look at the people who, for some reason, you're still friends with, but you can't stand. I want you to look at all of them, and I want you to find your own sins in the sins that you're accusing them of in your heart. Here's one good example that I know a lot of you in this room share with me. Think for a moment about Ben Simmons. If you're not familiar with Ben Simmons, he is the star point guard for the 76ers who gets paid $35 million a year and who isn't playing right now because he performed badly and can't handle much criticism. I'd like you for a second to find yourself in, yes, Ben Simmons before you burn his jersey. In fact, maybe it would say something amazing if you wore it to church next week. <laughs> I am Ben Simmons. I want all recognition and tribute, but I can handle no criticism without becoming spiteful. That's the truth. That's definitely the truth for you perfectionists out there, like me. And this would be a good service. This would be an acceptable and pleasing offering to God if you would enter aware of this. You could bring this, and it would be beautiful, and it would be a blessing. What else? We watched in horror the stories rolling out this past week about that vulnerable neighbor of ours, that's who she is, who was assaulted on a SEPTA train last week. And no one helped her, or effectively helped her. How about this one? I am the bystander. I am as apathetic about my vulnerable neighbor most days as any SEPTA rider was that night. This would be an acceptable offering. It would bring to remembrance why Christ had to die, and is that not why we're here? This would be service. I am part of the reason, maybe the main reason, that person's not talking to me anymore. When we look at the wars in the world, I am as territorial, I am as territorial, I am as territorial, about my space in the world as any other nation is about its territories. And I will go to war if you step across my boundary. How about all the advertisements that you see as you scroll? All the advertisements, which might be okay, 
except that you know they are targeting that part of your heart that only and always wants more. Another extra for me alone. Become aware of it. Let your heart break a little bit more open and it would be a good and pleasing and acceptable offering to him. And just one last one. How about just all the other brothers and sisters on social media or wherever who you just look at and you find out they're not in your heart. You don't have any love or mercy for them. And that is completely unjustifiable at the foot of the cross and at the foot of the throne. There is no and will be no justification for that other than the blood of Jesus, which you need because you are that kind of a merciless sinner. And I am too. Last thing I'll say, bring it as an offering, but you know what you don't try to do? You don't try to fix yourself. He fixes you. You just be broken. The funny thing is Psalm 51 ends, David says, you know, you don't require a burnt offering, you require a broken heart. But once he gets that broken heart, the last verse of the whole psalm is, now he'll receive our offerings. Now it matters that I bring him that valuable thing. Apart from the tears, it matters not at all. But it starts here. Brothers and sisters, you need to bring this. I call you, I invite you to bring this. This involves work, not saving work. He's done it. But the work of tribute, the work of offering. You will make it a worship service. Service. You will serve him. And not just a worship party or gathering or social time if you let your heart be broken a little bit in the next seven days. This will be acceptable service, an acceptable sacrificial offering to the one who has already covered all these sins with his own once for all. Acceptable sacrifice. And others will be blessed. And so will you be. And so will he be. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.